You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We are working through our series. We've just started uh, working through the letter of Philippians. Sometimes we're going to uh, look at various themes and topics. And uh, sometimes uh, we will work our way systematically through various passages of Scripture. And we've got a, a cracker here. We're working through Philippians. No greater thing is the uh, overarching theme of the series. And uh, that speaks to the fact that there is nothing in life that we're going to face that is greater than Christ. Okay? No obstacle, no circumstances, no pleasure, nothing that is attractive to us that is going to be more attractive, more influential or significant for us than Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Okay, that's the overarching theme here. So let's uh, look at our text for today. If you've got your Bibles there, in whatever format you might have it, we're going to look at Philippians 1. I'm wondering if one day we might get a Bible implant. That would be quite useful, wouldn't it? So a white brain implant, you know, a mental concordance. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Okay, Philippians 1, verses 12 to 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed And in that, I rejoice. This is quite astonishing. Here's Paul. He's been imprisoned unjustly. We know he was imprisoned for two years. Um, He was uh, imprisoned by the Roman authorities. He was permanently chained to a member of the Imperial Guard, who were the most senior, most capable and qualified of the uh, military personnel of the day. So his uh, personal liberties have been completely taken from him. He was isolated from the people he loved and the things that he loved to do. And uh, many people might think this is a bit of a failure. This is, uh, you know, here's a guy. He's on this tremendous crusade for the cause of Christ. And now he has been imprisoned. And he's saying, no, look, hey, make no mistake. This is not fun. I'm not enjoying this. But... I'm telling you, this is an amazing opportunity for me to demonstrate my trust in God and to tell people about Jesus and what he means to me. So it's quite an astonishing uh, approach that he's taking. So, you know, some of my brothers have been encouraged and they're gathering around me, even the people that are preaching against me. We get this sometimes when we're facing afflictions and people will say, oh, you need more faith, come on, come on, brother, more faith. And you think, well, you know, these people aren't really for me. They sort of seem to be telling me off a bit here, but... Paul said, no, it's okay. If they are advocating Christ, it's better that, that than they're advocating crystals or <laughs> something else. You know, for good or ill, this is all right. Okay? So that's the general context for this scripture. But I just want to say that when we look at these scriptures, I think we are reading some of the most important scriptures in the Bible. 
Okay? All Scripture is God-breathed. It's the inspired, breathed-out Word of God. Amen? Some Scriptures are more useful than others. Okay? Some actually represent a greater degree of revelation than others. Some of the Gospel writers, well, all of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the writers of the New Testament letters such as Paul and Peter and others, were writing with an insight and a revelation that had not been previously given. It's very important we get our hands on that. It's very important. So in Ephesians 3, you hear Paul say this. You can look at it a little bit later on. He says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The point is this. I can with confidence say that when we read these scriptures, it's the cream of revelation. If you're trying to make sense of any doctrine, you have to pull it through the filter of these guys, these first-generation apostles and prophets that has been recorded for us in the New Testament because these guys have had a revelation about the mysteries of Christ that previous generations and previous uh, recorders of Scripture didn't have. And so we can see this is the lens through which we have to interpret doctrine. It's also the lens through which we try and interpret life. If you're trying to make sense of any circumstances in your life, you're trying to understand this and say, well, hang on, you know, I've got to read what the scriptures have to say about this. We have to pull that through the lens of these revelations. These scriptures are a crucial tool for interpreting life's events. So why do I say that? It's because it's very important that we understand there are a lot of false gospels out there. Okay? We are surrounded by false gospels. And this is the tool and particularly the writers of the New Testament through which we, we are able to interpret the rest of Scripture, this is a tool that helps us to discern the truth and to separate out that which is false. Unless we grapple with these letters, we will get a grotesquely distorted view of the truth. So, are you ready? One false gospel. Are you ready for this? You won't be happy. One false gospel is the one that says that for the Christian, everything will go well and nothing will go badly. Have you ever heard that one? It's out there, isn't it? Yeah? yeah if it's going badly, you're doing something wrong. Yeah? It's all your fault. You have faith, brother, because God only wants good things for you. Prosperity and health and uh, promotion and a new car and a great house and... That's, that's the gospel. No, that's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. Okay? A false gospel is one that says that our life will be one of physical well-being, financial prosperity, personal success, triumphant in all arenas of life, personal and immediate vindication in the face of any opposition or injustice. That's a false gospel. I told you you wouldn't be happy, didn't I? Okay? <laughs> Because whoever is teaching that stuff 
is not reading this Bible. All right? Because okay? <laughs> it's not what the Bible says. It doesn't say that at all. Bad things will happen to good Christians. Temptations, trials, persecutions. Not only are they going to happen, it's an inevitable part of the stuff of life, but our loving, tender-hearted God fully promises it to us. <laughs> Jesus says in John 16, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace because in this world you're going to have trouble. <laughs> you can always tell when you've got your audience, you know. <laughs> but take heart because I have overcome the world, says Jesus. Hallelujah. I have overcome the world. And the message is this. Life is hard, but God is great. Okay? That's the truth. I can sit down. We can have coffee now. All right? Life is hard. God is great. Okay? And this is really what Paul is unpacking for us in here. He tells us in 2 Timothy 3, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. Okay? It's inevitable, folks. You're going to face hardship. You're going to face trials. You may not be in chains for the gospel in prison. Although, who's to say that might not happen in the years to come, the way things are breaking out at the moment. But you will face hardships and trials of every kind. You will face devastating sickness. You will face relationship breakdown. You will face opposition that worked because of your faith. You'll face family who think you're a bit weird because you're a Christian. You'll face financial hardship. You're going to face feeling emotionally overwhelmed just by the pressures of life. You're going to face all manner of things. And these are the chains that we sometimes have to live with because they're the chains of life. Okay? And what the Bible doesn't tell us is that that isn't going to happen. What the Bible tells us is God is looking to see how you respond to that. Yeah, spiritual, Your spiritual status is not connected with whether or not you are facing adversity, whether things are going well or not going well. Your spiritual status is established in how you respond to the events of life as they come your way. Okay? That is the truth of the gospel. This is what Paul is trying to unpack for us. He is a bold example that things do not always go well with followers of Christ. Times are sometimes difficult. Circumstances are sometimes bad. Relationships sometimes don't work out. Difficult times come to those who've been living faithful lives. And it is important to hear this because sometimes we can allow ourselves to believe and we are sometimes taught that godly people are spared difficult times. That is not what the Bible says. We seem to think that when th hard things happen in life, it is a sign that something is wrong, but that is not necessarily the case. Now, you may be sat there right now thinking, actually, Morris, things are going quite well. <laughs> things are going well for me at the moment. I'm in a good place. I'm not facing any opposition. I've actually got credit in my bank balance. I've got some month left at the end of when my money is. I've still got money left at the end of the month. I'm, I'm, my relationships are in a good place. I've just been promoted at work. Things are going well for me. Yeah, I'm healthy. I'm wealthy. I'm popular. Things are running smoothly. Yeah, leave the building if that's no, no, no. <laughs> 
I want to say, if that is the case, I am so happy for you. <laughs> Sincerely happy for you. It's a wonderful thing to know that you're being blessed by God. But I'm just warning you, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> okay? Because Jesus said we're going to face troubles of many kinds. It's going to happen. Now, here's the pitfall. This is what you need to be careful about, okay? Don't conclude... This is a warning to me. It's a warning to all of us. Don't conclude that somehow when you are being blessed, it means that God approves of you more than he approves of others. That's the pitfall. In the same way, we've got to be careful. We don't, in a sense, think we're doing something wrong because hard things are facing us. That, could, that is one pitfall. You know, no, no, We face trials of many kinds. It's promised to us by God. In the same way, don't think that actually it's because you are doing better than everybody else that God's blessing you. God's blessings come by his grace. You don't earn these or deserve these. They're his unfavored mercy and grace poured out on us. Yeah? So be careful that we don't do that. If we get into that position, you know, that somehow, hey, I, you know, I, I, I want to uh, help you, brother, because you're in a bad place, and I'm in a good place, and obviously I'm doing something right and you're doing something wrong. Yeah, if we get into that position, it's a dangerous place to be in. Because it, what it's meaning to say is that somehow that Paul and Jesus and the rest of the apostles and King David and all these other people who went through all these trials are somehow not quite as hooked up as you are as a Christian. Yeah, yeah I could teach that Paul a thing or two. Yeah, you know, but living in victory. Come on, Paul. So we just got to be careful we don't fall into that trap. Okay, so. We need to interpret and understand the events of life through the lens of Scripture. Today, I want to speak to those of us who are wearing some chains. Okay? You're wearing some chains. It's important that you see that the chains that you are carrying at the moment do not necessarily mean that God has turned away from you. Okay? Because all Christians will face hardship and trial. They will. They'll face blessing and provision and enjoy that when it happens. But we will also face hardship and trial. We'll face opposition from the enemy. We'll face our own weakness and the consequences of that. We will also face the trials of God who will put things in our way to test our character and see if we're going to trust in him and not just trust in what we can see in our visible world because we live by faith and not by sight. And he's going to test that in you. So when you're facing these trials, it doesn't mean necessarily that God has turned away from you or that you're doing something terribly wrong. Okay, Job wasn't doing much wrong when God allowed him to face all the troubles that he faced. Your chain could be a devastating illness. It could be financial stresses. It could be emotional struggles. It could be relationship problems. You may be feeling that you're walking under some sort of perpetual cloud. Well, you're in good company. Faithful people sometimes are asked to endure the chains of life. Okay? So if that's you here today, if you're in a good place today and it's all going well, then praise God. Yeah? Be careful that you don't misinterpret that. And stand with your brothers and sisters who maybe are going through some trials and don't judge them because it's not necessarily because they're doing something wrong. Okay? So, what are some of the keys that we can pick up from Paul? No thing is greater than. Christ. Let's dig in a bit deeper. What do we see from Paul's response to his adversity here? First of all, for Paul, every situation is an opportunity to point people to Jesus. Now, if I'm honest with you, I get a bit annoyed sometimes when people tell me that. All right? Come on, Morris. 
Praise God anyway. Yeah, okay, your legs have fallen off, but hey, God's good. Let's give glory to Jesus. I'm thinking, I, this is really hurting, actually. <laughs> <You know. laughs> David was an expert at moaning, wasn't he? Just read the Psalms. <laughs> he could moan for the Olympics, couldn't he? Moan, moan, moan. But David is a model to us of the way that he pushes past that and appeals to God. He demonstrates that in spite of all this, the fact that everybody's trying to chase him and kill him and all these things are going wrong, in you, Lord, I will put my trust. I trust you, God. Uh, situations that you face, the difficult situations that you encounter in life, are an opportunity for you to show people that actually your trust goes way beyond what this world has. Your trust goes beyond financial security. Your trust goes beyond the medical services. Your trust goes beyond uh, the political system, which is not too difficult always. And your trust goes beyond social economical provision in our nation. Your trust goes beyond the approval of your mates. Your trust goes beyond all of these things because you trust in God. Yeah? You can summarize the whole Bible and the whole of the Christian faith in one sentence. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Do you trust God that he's your maker and redeemer? Do you trust God that he's the one who's made a way for you to be reconciled to him in heaven? Do you trust God that it's through Christ and Christ alone, through his death and the resurrection of Christ from the death, that we would not have to taste the sting of death? We should not have to face the separation of sin. And we have this access through the curtain boldly into the throne room of God, we trust God. My future is secure. I'm only passing through here. I'm just a sojourner. I'm just, a, 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 just a, someone who's happened to be tripping through this life. Yeah? Here, the reason I am here is to point people to Jesus. That's why I'm here. I don't need to be here. I'm saved. Are you saved? <laughs> Come on, American response. Are you saved? Yeah? Okay. You don't need to be here. Yeah? I don't recommend that you cut it short. <laughs> you don't need to be here. You're here for a reason. The reason you're here is to point people to Jesus. You're here to point people to Jesus when it's going well. You're here to point people to Jesus when it's not going well. Paul saw this. Every circumstance is an opportunity to point people to Jesus. John Piper says, I do not want to be a comfort-seeking, entertainment-addicted, security-craving, approval-desiring Christian. <laughs> I like that. I'm not in it for me. I'm not in it for my comfort. I'm in it to make sure that as many people around me hear about Christ. So you may be facing a devastating sickness or illness at the moment. And you've got uh, people who are encouraged by your response and the way that you're uh, being faithful to Jesus. And you've got other people who are saying, come on, you should have more faith. Pray for your healing. Well, we know God heals. We pray for God's healing. We pray every time for God's healing. But we trust God that sometimes the healing doesn't come. That doesn't mean we don't trust God anymore. We can be disappointed, it can be disorientating, but it doesn't mean we don't trust God. But we're saying, look, whether it, you know, whatever happens, I trust God. Whatever happens, you need to know Jesus is helping me. And so all the nurses, all the care workers, all the neighbours, all the workmates, all the people that have some intersection with your life when you're wrestling with your debilitating illness, you have the opportunity, as Paul did with the prison guards, to say, look, you need to know, in all of this, I trust God. Yeah, I trust God. I want to point you to Jesus. I was reading an article the other day about a lady, a very intelligent, articulate lady in a 
broadsheet newspaper who was talking about how lucky her life was. She was lucky that she got good grades in her A-levels, lucky that she passed her degree and got a great job in the city. And uh, then she said, a bit oddly, she was really lucky to find um, her second husband that she abandoned her first husband for. I thought that was a bit strange, but anyway. And then, tragically, she's on holiday. Her husband's from Jamaica. They're on holiday with their two children, and he swims out to uh, check on one of the children who seem to be struggling. And her husband drowns. And then for the rest of this article, you just see the agony of this woman trying to match these circumstances to her philosophy. Her luck had run out. What does she do now? Everything she based her life upon had gone. And I'm thinking, dear lady, I weep for your loss. I've got Christ. My life is built on him and him alone. And whatever adversity I face in this life, whether it is a mystery to me, uh, whether you, you know, like Job, you knock me sideways, you need to know that Christ for me is greater than all of these things. No thing, no issue or obstacle I face is greater than Christ for me. So, every opportunity to point people to Jesus. Secondly, Paul sees the bigger picture. Tom would have covered this last week earlier when we were looking in the, the earlier verses of chapter 1. He says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul has in view the fact that this is not what we're here for. We're here for a day that's coming when Christ will come back for us and he will judge us and he will test us. He will deliver us into salvation because that is his irrefutable promise. But the reaction of our days to the events of life will be tested. And where we have reacted with faith, these things will be proved uh, valuable. And where we have not acted with faith, they'll be burnt away. Okay? You familiar with those scriptures? Yeah, we have to be real about this. So we are saved. Hallelujah. That's the work of Jesus. That's not our work. Jesus did that. That can't be taken away from us. Now our work starts in demonstrating our faith to Jesus in this life. And that work will be tested on that day. So Paul is fixing his eyes on the bigger picture here. He says in verses 9 and 10, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Such an important verse. That as you continue in your Christian walk, as you face the chains of life, the adversities of circumstances, that you will be abounding in love. Yeah? And abounding with knowledge and being able to discern what is going on here so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So Paul appeals to us to see this through the context of the bigger picture. And it's very, very important that we get our hands on that. It's very important that we interpret our life through the lens of our destiny. Yeah, Because otherwise, we're only going to be able to interpret our life through the circumstances around us. You know, this is good, this is bad. Well, brothers and sisters, what a glorious hope we have set before us. What a radiant horizon that lies ahead of us. That, you know, my body may be sick or not quite as lithe and slim as I would like it to be, but this is just a coat. I'm going to take it off one day and chuck it away. Hallelujah. Because that which is perishable will drop like a seed, and that which is imperishable will arise. I will have a new squeaky clean body that will never suffer any decay or sickness. 
That's not a bad deal, is it? That's something to look forward to. That's something to make us patient in affliction. So this is painful. I'm having a David moan. I don't like this. But I've got this hope ahead of me. So at the moment, money's tight. I don't have the sort of things that I'd like to do, the things I'd like to provide for my family. Well, what your family needs is to know that you trust in Christ. Because in Christ, they will have all provision and they will have every blessing at the right hand of the Father. They will be able to go and live uh, without money and buy and eat and drink milk and honey and blah, 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 blah. That's more important for your children and for your family and for your workmates and for all of those around you who are thinking, hey, it's a bit tough for you at the moment. Aren't you supposed to be a blessed Christian? They're like, hey, look, I've got something much more valuable than money. Much more valuable than money. And I'm training my children that, yeah, okay, we'd like to have money in this life, but it's actually not the most important thing because there's a greater thing. And that greater thing is Christ. And you may be thinking, you know, about the circumstances you face. I mean, you know, emotional turmoil. I mean, people, a lot, you know, a lot of us at different times of our life, we just face emotional turmoil, emotional pressure, emotional stress. And it's just amazing to think that one day that will never be the case. You will be sitting in heaven trying to think of something to worry about. There must be something to worry about. Oh, nothing. <laughs> yeah? Your own weakness. Do you ever get frustrated with your own weakness? Your own sin? Thank goodness me. You know, what am I like? Well, in heaven, no. You know, for the jo- Jesus endured unimaginable suffering. He is the only human being to have faced the full consequences of the sin of humanity. Okay, He's the only one of us that will taste that here who are the redeemed of Christ. He alone faced that. for He took the, upon himself the full... He who knew no sin took upon himself the full wrath of God for the whole of humankind. He was separated from his Father. Why have you forsaken? Why are you doing this, God? Why have you done that? Suffered spiritual and physical agonies that you and I will not have to taste. What motivated him to do that? Why did he do that? Not a trick question. He endured the cross for the joy set before him. Gold star for the man in the church shirt. For the joy set before him. He was looking at the bigger picture. He knew what was coming. He could endure this. We must live in the expectation of future hope to enable us to be patient with whatever afflictions we'll face in this life. That is what is going to most encourage you and strengthen you in these things. We do not need to be defeated by the chains of life. We're just passing through here. We don't belong here. We can be patient. We can endure short-term hardship. And, and we're thinking, you know, hang on, you know, short, my idea of short-term hardship is about six or seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, that, I, can, I can manage that. You know, but 10 years? Oh, dear, that's a lot. The rest of my life. Some people have to endure hardship for the rest of their lives. Oh, you know, I'm not sure I'm up for that one. Hey, we're just passing through. These are momentary. Economy, life is momentary. It's just, a, it's just a, like a bit of grass. We just get burnt up by the sun one day. You know, it's just whoosh, gone. <laughs> so we can be patient in afflictions. 
There's a friend of mine, and I used to get annoyed when he used to say this to me. But it makes sense to me now. He said, yeah, well, I'm sitting there saying, oh, moan, 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 this has happened, that's happened. He said that, and she looked at me in a funny way. And, oh, what am I going to do? And he said, well, uh, he said, are we going to be worrying about this in 500 years' time? Probably not, you know, okay? Let's just put it into some context here, okay? We're, we're shooting for much bigger fish here. Yeah, I want to be comfortable. I'm a coward. I want a comfortable life. I don't want to have to work hard. <laughs> I want everybody to like me. I don't want anybody to disagree with me. I want everybody to see it my way. That's the perfect life, yeah? It doesn't always happen that way, <laughs> yeah? But, uh, you know, I... I'm shooting for my... That's not the important thing. The important thing is that I'm found in Christ. And Christ is in me. And he is not going to leave me or forsake me. He's going to come back for me. And he's going to be delivering me into eternal security that will never perish or spoil nor fade. There's going to be no other priest that is going to supersede my priest Jesus, who mediates between me and the Father, I will see him face to face. I will revel in his presence. I've got all eternity to enjoy. Every provision that God has for me, I can put up with a bit of hardship now. Okay. Now, I'm not making small of this. Some of you face very difficult circumstances. I'm not making small of it. Please. I'm just trying to appeal to you. We've got to zoom out, stand back, and put this in the context of everything that Christ has obtained for us and everything that lies ahead for us. Yeah, that we can then stand firm in the face of all trials and temptations and persecutions and hardships and afflictions in this world. And it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. What it means is God is battle-hardening you. He's proving your character. He's in enabling you to take another step in saying, that I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you. I, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not trusting in my circumstances. I'm trusting in you. So we must grasp the bigger picture. So finally... A third lesson from Paul is that Paul learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. He says in Philippians 4, he says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We must learn this secret how do, how do we learn that secret? How do we learn the secret of being content? So we're, we're seeing every opportunity to point people to Jesus. We're seeing everything in the bigger picture. But still, it can be un, a little bit unsatisfactory that I'm having to live with this situation in my life, this chain that is holding me. And then Paul said, no, I've, learned, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be satisfied. Well, how do we do that? Well, there's another hero in, in Scripture, David. Who uh, he had a bit of a rough deal, so he was uh, obviously his family didn't take him very seriously when he was trying to fight Goliath. But then, as a consequence of that, and all sorts of other things, he became very popular and was promoted to the palace. And then Saul got jealous, and Saul rejected him. Saul, in fact, threatened to kill David, although David had been anointed as king. So for ten, it says in the Bible, ten maybe thirteen years, David is then on the run because he's been rejected by his own people. His own nation have rejected him. The sovereign head of his own nation has rejected him. And he's then uh, hooked up with a bunch of guys in a cave. He met in a cave somewhere. And they spent years and years working. And they decide to help out the enemy, the Philistines. They say, okay, we'll help you fight some other 
enemies of Israel. So they gain a bit of a reputation as mercenaries, fighting with the enemy against other enemies of Israel, until the Philistines decide they're going to attack Israel. And uh, the, uh, the warriors in, in the, among the Philistines said, well, we can't take David, because he's going to probably turn coat and start fighting for Israel against us. So David's in this position where he's been rejected by his own nation. He's now been rejected by his enemies. Oh, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Okay, you've been rejected by your enemies. No, yeah. You know, and then, and then he, he goes back. They go off on some sort of adventure, uh, him and his mates, and they come back to their town, Ziklag, which had been given to them by the Philistines, and they find that the town has been ransacked and all their wives and children have been taken. So now all, these, all his mates are now saying, you know, they're on David's back, by which I mean they were going to stone him. <laughs> so here's David faced with all this hardship and adversity, and it says in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 36, it says, David was greatly distressed. We can understand that, can't we? For the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This is a very important scripture if you want to learn how to be the secret of being content in all circumstances, and how to handle adversity when it comes your way. We take huge encouragement from one another, and I'm not advocating that somehow we isolate ourselves here, but we must learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We must learn how to minister to ourselves. Yeah? Do you know how to minister to your own soul? Do you do that sometimes? Hey, Morris, yeah, you're, not, you're not looking too great. Let me pray for you. Thank you. Thank you, Morris. Minister to me now. Are you any good at ministering to yourself? How do we minister to ourselves? First of all, we minister the truth of God to ourselves. Right? The truest things anybody will ever say about your life are in here. Okay? You come to me with any other old rubbish, I'm going to say, is it in here? If it's not in here, I'm not having it. <laughs> with all love and grace. Okay? You minister to yourself by conforming yourself to the Word of God. You, su you submit your thinking and your heart to the Word of God. You open it up. You let it refresh you. This isn't just some sort of, uh, sort of uh, textbook for Christians. This is the living Word of God. This, God is a, this Word is alive. It explodes in your heart. It refreshes your spirit. It renews and regenerates your soul. You minister to yourself by reading what the Word of God has to say about your life. Okay? That is, I'm appealing to you. If you're facing adversity, if you're facing hardship, you're thinking, what is going on? Read the word of God. Minister to yourself. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the Lord through enjoying the presence of God in worship. David was set apart in God's eyes because even when he didn't have to, he wanted to worship God. This was in the day when temple worship was all prevailing, so you expressed your worship by coming to meetings <laughs> in order to worship with the people of God, David would be out in the fields worshipping at every opportunity that he had because he had a heart after God. Yeah? So you can minister the presence of God to yourself. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that if you are considering how you are able to handle the adversity of life compared to your friends and colleagues at work or your family members or whatever who don't know Jesus, I would consider having the personal indwelling 
accompaniment of Almighty God puts us at an advantage. Minister the Word of God to yourself. Minister the Spirit and presence of God to yourself. God is with us. God is with you. You're not alone. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. He's within you, and he is going to be in every way able to provide comfort and guidance and protection and care in your times of trial as well as in your times of blessing. This is how we minister to ourselves. We minister the relationships of Jesus to ourselves. He is our intimate friend who loves us like no other and who is able to understand us and help us like no other. So this is how Paul learned to be content in all circumstances. He ministered the word of God to himself. He ministered the presence of God to himself. He ministered the relationships of God to himself in this way. I'm appealing to you to do this. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Let's learn how to do this for ourselves. If we're facing poverty, well, in Christ, we have riches beyond any imagination. Uh, we may have this perishable body, but we are in hope for an imperishable body that lies ahead of us. We conform ourselves to the word of God. Perfection awaits us. No more weakness or failure. Vindication and justice awaits us. There is no thing greater than Jesus that we will encounter in this life. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I do pray, Father, just through my simple efforts here, that you will touch hearts bring courage to those who maybe are feeling weak, those who are facing mystifying, uh, disorientating situations and thinking, I, I don't get this. Surely if uh, God is with me, I wouldn't be facing this. But Lord, I, I pray you draw close to those who are walking in chains at the moment, Lord. And uh, we want to set people free from chains, but also we know sometimes we have to walk in chains and we want to stand with people in their distress we want to say, look, hey, you know, I know you'll stand with me when I'm in distress as well. Jesus never promised us the, the, a life of perfection here. That's coming. That's what's ahead of us. But he promised us in this life we're going to face troubles and persecutions. We're going to face trials from the enemy and also trials from God who wants to prove us and develop us. And we want to learn how to respond to that, God. We want to learn how to be patient in affliction. We want to learn how to trust you when things are tough. We want to learn how to uh, take every opportunity to direct people to Jesus. When they're saying, where's your God? You say, look, you need to know I trust God. He's bigger than all of this. There's no thing greater than Jesus in my life here. I want you to know that. And in my, in my distress, I'm going to point you towards that. Lord Jesus, uh, we, uh, we get to stand back and look at that bigger picture and know that we're just passing through here. You have such a glorious inheritance for us. We have a, a future that we can't even begin to describe that is going to make this existence seem so momentary that it's almost hard to bring it back to mind. And Lord Jesus, uh, we want to learn how to minister life to ourselves, the truth of your word, the life of your presence, the, the intimacy of Jesus that he walks with us day by day. Lord, these are the things that are precious to us. To live in affliction or blessing is Christ. To die is an even better thing. And Lord, we want to learn what it means that Christ for us is more precious than any other thing. Christ for us is more important to us than any other thing. Lord, that he is the precious one. He is the, the treasure that we will give everything up for. He is the one that we will say, whatever else happens, I have Christ. And no one can take that from me. No one can rob me of that. He has... 
gripped me and will never let me go. And whatever I face in this world, nothing will change that or diminish that. In fact, it can only grow as I identify with Christ in his sufferings as well as in his resurrection. So I pray bring courage and strength to my friends here who may be wrestling and struggling with these things. Lord, give them courage just to go to the back of the room so we can lay hands and minister blessing and love and power and encouragement from heaven for them, I pray. And will you continue to strengthen us with courage and embolden us, Lord, in a day when we're facing increasing opposition in our day. Lord, we don't condemn people. They don't know what they're doing. We forgive people. They don't know what they're doing. But we will press the claims of Christ in our day because we can do no other. We will lift him up and say, look, he is the beautiful one. He is the transcendent one. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the only, the author and perfecter of our lives. He is the fount of all mercy and grace and forgiveness and goodness and love. And in him, all good things abound. And we cleave ourselves to you, Jesus. And we want this community to see this, Lord, in this building or any other building. We want to pray, Lord God, that Jesus is seen and made known in blessing and he's seen and made known in adversity. And in all of these things, we'll bring glory to you. We pray this, that your name will be great in our day. We pray this, Lord, for your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.